Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome to this webinar, which I'm delighted to be uh, chairing on behalf of Wild Search and Beyond Autism. I'm Edward Wild, uh, Chief Executive of Wild Search, uh, and uh, we're delighted to have been uh, engaged by Beyond Autism to produce the report Advancing Autism, which is now available uh, to download on our website and uh, will shortly be available to download on the Beyond Autism website as well. And I'm delighted to have um, four panellists today uh, who have all been involved in the process of preparation of this report and the uh, discussion today will be uh, largely focused on what they uh, and their organisations have said, what they've contributed to the report. Um, we hope that you will enjoy reading the report and whether you're watching live today or um, subsequently through the recording, that the webinar will complement and um, uh, emphasise the points that have been made within the report, lead to further discussion and dialogue and opportunities for uh, those of you working in this field to uh, come together uh, and work together in partnership uh, during the months ahead. Uh, so um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce the uh, panellists uh, who will say um, where they're from and uh, their interest in uh, this report and, and their engagement. So um, if I could ask you, uh, Lizzie, to begin that would be great thank you thank you very much um, hello everyone yes i'm lizzie Coyne. i'm head of communications and here at the autism center of excellence otherwise known as ace um, we are in the relatively early stages of um, launching our fundraising campaign for this very exciting but very ambitious project um, we are i'm very grateful for this opportunity to come on board today because Actually, collaboration is at the heart of what we're doing in the centre itself. Um, it's the importance of everyone pulling together to make real effective uh, change for autistic people and their families. Um, the main vision for ACE is that we're bringing research and clinical care together. So look forward to um, talking about it later. Good, thank you very much, uh, Lizzie. And um, uh, I should just say to those of you watching that uh, uh, Lizzie didn't herself contribute to the report uh, in terms of her own in her own name, uh, but we do have um, the essay from Professor Simon Baron Cohen, with whom she works closely. And um, he was not available to join us, but we're delighted that that she is. So um, perhaps I can move next on to Audrey. Thank you, Edward. Hello, my name is Audrey. Audrey I'm the founder and director of Elevation Club consulting. Um, I'm, I'm a relatively new um, company, um, having been for the last 30 years in education as a um, mainstream teacher and senior leader and also in special education leads, um, and with my last post being the founding head of a brand new, um, new special school uh, in Northwest London, um, which um, was an amazing experience. Um, throughout my time in education, but specifically with the last 12 years being in special needs, um, I've seen um, the ranges in, in approaches to education and um, special education needs, and also seen the parallels of how the mainstream are now moving towards what special um, schools do. Um, and so my big um, work and big passion um, is supporting organisations um, and young people um, with special education needs and ensuring that um, equity and equality um, and inclusion is kind of embedded in, in these organisations. Thank you very much, uh, Audrey. And and uh, next to you, uh, Laura. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Laura Pease, and I'm 
principal of Whitehill Schools in northeast London, and you can tell that I'm really in a school because there's been a trolley going past down the corridor. Um, I'm delighted to be um, part of this report, um, largely because of the theme of partnerships that seems to run through it. And, and in my time in, in special ed, uh, which is a long time now, um, I've seen the importance of partnerships and I've seen how, uh, as, as Audrey said, people from different cohorts um, actually have common themes and, and common ways of supporting children. Um, and I've particularly written about partnership with parents um, in this journey. Uh, thank you very much, Laura. And um, finally, um, Tracy, who, who will um, uh, tell us not only uh, what she does, but also uh, she's just going to um, say a little bit more about uh, what led us to uh, come together uh, to produce this report. So, uh, Tracy, over to you. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Um, so I'm Tracy Linehan and I'm the chief exec of Beyond Autism. Um, we are a, a charity and an organisation that um, uh, with quite a bold vision to ensure that everyone with autism accesses uh, an education that leads to opportunities, independence um, and, and control of their lives going forward. Um, so um, with that background, we run uh, two schools, we run early years provision and um, adult provision for 19 to 25 year olds, as well as an extensive research and learning uh, program and training and outreach and all sorts of things, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, we, we have uh, uh, sites on going beyond London, uh, so beyond autism, beyond London, really, um, over the, the coming years. Um, the thinking behind the report then uh, comes from the basis that at Beyond Autism, we are committed to a particular methodology and a set of principles underpin everything that we do within our teaching and learning um, and so on. And um, the methodology we're committed to often causes uh, great debate and great conversation and some frowning and lots of cheering from others and it has a real sort of marmite effect and it and it got me thinking that um, it, there are lots of different methodologies out there working with um, children and young adults um, and often in in the silo of that everyone believes in what they're doing, they believe in the progress and the outcomes, and it's all very exciting. But actually people externally, um, it becomes a barrier. It becomes a barrier to conversations, it becomes a barrier to um, collaborative working. And um, and I, I, I was really keen to open a national dialogue that wasn't a debate, didn't come down on the sides of one methodology is better than another, or anybody's judgment or view on that. Um, it, it's a dialogue really about how we all collaborate and work together for the outcomes for children, young adults and, and families. And, and, and with a view to a fact, to, with a view as well linked to things like education, healthcare plans where, um, you know, everything is attached to schooling and, and so on. What happens to that young adult at 19 to 25? What happens to employment? What happens beyond all of that? And, and if we can all collaborate and, and work together um, and see families as part of that collaboration, 
um, but all of us as professionals as well, then, you know, that that sort of scary future shouldn't be so scary. And we can all be living in a society that um, is, is ready and welcoming and able to include everybody that it needs to include. Um, so that's, um, that, that was really the driver behind it all. And I, have, and I have to say, I'm so delighted with the way it's all come together and, and the views that have been expressed in the report. It's really helpful and, and quite warming actually that a dialogue has started and, and, and not, not a sort of ranty debate, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is exciting. Well, thanks very much, Tracy. That's really helpful. And, and, and those of you who've uh, had sight of the report will see we were delighted to have Tim Clement Jones uh, to contribute uh, to it. And, and he wrote the preface. Uh, Tim, as many of you know, was chair and is now president of Ambitious About Autism. And I think one of Tracy's um, uh, ideas, which she's just uh, uh, articulated, is, is really to, for this to work, for this report to work, but actually for, for the, um, the, the, the logic, the purpose behind it to work, we need to involve and engage as many organizations working with those uh, with autism uh, as possible because i think that what the report i think demonstrates and i reread it again last night is that you know there's more that that brings people together than divides them and i think sometimes the divisions and as tracy says the the areas of of um uh, contention can sometimes get in the way of that and I think hopefully um, through this and, and subsequent um, activities I know Tracy will say a little bit more later about um, Beyond Autism's plans um, for a conference next year but you know that there are uh, th th there's a way of evolving this I think the positive aspect which, which I picked up and from Tim's involvement in the report was that uh, parliamentarians as a whole both in the Commons and Lords are are reasonably well informed about autism. Uh, he felt that there was a, a certainly there's been a great development of knowledge in the last 10 years since the formation of the APPG uh, and um, th that's been that's been a very helpful way of um, of, of raising the issue uh, but I think you know this report and uh, hopefully when uh, we all get back into the world of of face-to-face -face meetings and 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 in uh, discussions with in the same physical room that that will help take that forward um so just to break down the report i mean obviously tracy's um given us all um um three distinct uh areas in a sense and and each of you is involved in different ways in them and i think perhaps we could just start by looking at the um what the issues are within firstly schools uh, then in the 19 to 25 age range which i know laura uh, has has views on uh which she'll she'll share um and and then looking at employment because i think employability um it's a point that tim made mentions in his uh, opening um contribution it's a, a point that comes through the report a number of times the uh, number of people with autism uh, employed um, only 16 percent of adults uh, with autism in full-time employment for example uh, and and sometimes I think the um, the, the different um, uh, types of autism and I think how that can somehow possibly skew the debate in 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 you know not always a helpful way in, in respect of uh, employment opportunities so perhaps um uh, audrey you could just begin by just telling us a little bit about your uh, own experiences um in schools uh what do you see the challenges as being and and what do you think uh, needs to happen in order to uh break down some of those uh barriers 
Wonderful. Thanks. I mean, it's a it's it's a tricky thing. One of the things that I um, talked about in the report, I talk about how um, mainstream schools um, are now adopting a lot of what special needs schools do. Um, and what do special needs do schools do? Well, they look at the whole child. They look at the whole child and they look at all the skills, everything that that child is bringing um, and, and presenting with. Um, whatever that is and it's very much a can-do attitude that special needs schools have um, and I think now mainstream schools are starting to pick up on that and are being more holistic in their approach and I think um, what has happened over time and what um, special needs are brilliant at doing um, is is empowering. Um, the problem we have probably um, and, and I used to say this when I was the head there that I never wanted the children that I used to be um, you know lucky enough to lead I never wanted them to lead um, in, 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 the sh in the school's image. What I wanted them to do is to have skills ready to be able to face the world to, because the world won't change, but we can get our kids to be as well skilled as they can be uh, when they when they leave. Um, and it's also about where they're going to in destinations. And I think what's happening over time is that um, mainstream schools are kind of catching up with that now. So um, everything was data-driven at one time. Special needs schools also went through that kind of whole thing about data-driven and thankfully now we've lost that. That's gone off the agenda, which I'm really pleased to hear because it's, it's not about the numbers. It's about the resilience of children and being able and how they face the world. And, uh, and that's increasingly now, of course, the, the narrative for all children, and especially in light of uh, um, the pandemic. We now know that actually we were more interested in, the, in a child's well-being, um, which, of course, in special needs schools, we've always been about that from the start. So um, I think what's interesting now is, is that shift and now the equipping of of young people, um, especially with special needs, to, to be able to enter into the world of work. And that starts really early. And I think because we know the children that we're getting, and we also, um, you know, the, the miracles and the amazing um, kind of um, insights into um, science and technology that now means children are living um, where ordinarily they might not have survived, we're now in a situation where actually we've got to do better. And we've just got to make sure now that we are adapting. The onus is on us um, as the educators, as the professionals, um, as, as, as the parents um, of, of, of aspiring for more. And I think um, that's my big driver about saying everything is more about can do as opposed to can't do. Um, and it's just about finding those ways of making sure that um, uh, the contribution made is a meaningful one, not a tokenistic one. Thanks, Audrey. That's great. I wonder whether I might come on to Laura um, and, and to pick up on anything that Audrey said, but also uh, what struck me about your contribution uh, in the report was um, the, the discussion between parent support or, or partnership and obviously the role of parents, particularly in that age range uh, up to 19, uh, and uh, whether you think that in, in that area particularly uh, that there have been welcome developments in, in recent months, but whether you think there's more scope um, uh, to... Um, um, further improve that. Yeah. I mean, just picking up on, on a couple of the things that Audrey said, I think one of the things that specialist provisions, whether they're mainstream or special, are really good at is accepting children as they are, um, rather than trying to fit them into a mould. And our young people certainly won't always um, go on to work, but we are trying to build a life, help equip them for a life where they can have some control and some communication. And when they are making valid choices about the way that, that they live, whether it's paid employment or, or community work. Um, 
and, and talking to parents, yeah, we, we hear from parents that that's um, very important to them. Um, and also parents wanting to celebrate their children. Um, and, and sadly, some of the experiences that we hear about from parents before the children have been in specialist provision is, is that places haven't always celebrated their children as they are. There's still somewhere out there a kind of deficit approach to helping children fit in um, with, with schools rather than the schools adapting um, to where the children are. Um, and, and the other point that I, or the question that I ask in, in my chapter is about um, whether there remains an unconscious bias among some professionals. And, and that is a barrier to working effectively with parents. And I'd be interested to know what, what other panelists think about that. Good. I wonder whether Tracy, you might like to come in there because obviously you are uh, within Beyond Autism and your schools, you're educating uh, children that age. And I wonder whether you might also just pick up on a point that somebody else has made in the report, which I was just talking through earlier, which uh, really is about teacher training and, 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 you know, teacher training within the mainstream and to what extent should SEN uh, and then within that autism be um, brought uh, into more more of a, a priority if you like um, as, as part of mainstream teacher training sure um, I I think the question Laura asked around unconscious bias is really interesting because of course the parents that we meet who have children uh, with autism or other uh, special educational needs and disabilities um, have grown up in a society and in their own education systems um, exposed to whatever they were exposed to at the time. And over the years, that's probably not always been with a very inclusive, um, all-encompassing cohort of children that they themselves would have met as a pupil in a school. So, um, there's something there, isn't there, around how society operates um, in terms of uh, meeting people, including people, exposure and so on. And um, I think sometimes those of us who are, are sort of very embedded within the field forget about that, forget that other people don't meet children like we meet or, um, or, or whatever. And, and actually their starting points are, are very different. Um, so there's something there, I think, around um, education of all children in the education system, in, in whatever way, uh, through PSHE or, and um, diversity and inclusion and acceptance and difference and all that stuff that, 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 that we're all talking about. So there's something there about curriculum, generally, I think. Um, the question of teacher training, then, is that it sort of comes from the same start point, doesn't it? Because when you start to learn to become a teacher, you are bringing with you your experiences of teachers you have met and your own educational experience. Um, and um, I, I do think that to be a teacher, you should be able to teach all children and that should be your basic start point. So differentiation, which is what we talk about in teaching, isn't around top, middle and bottom. You know, it's around individual styles of learning. It's around um, how you set up your teaching environment so everybody can access what they need to access in a way that is um, applicable to them. Um, and, and you see lots of that happening. You know, you see schools who claim to be dyslexia, specialist schools and so on. But actually, what they're actually doing is good teaching. 
you know, they're making it accessible for all children. Um, so, and you, but you do still hear teachers who, who say, you know, I'm not trained for uh, the, these, these children to be in my class, or, you know, I've got 30 children and little Johnny, rather than I've got 31 children in my class. Um, that's changing. I don't think that's as prevalent as it was, but certainly there does, there needs to be a lot stronger strand through teacher training, initial teacher training around how you include and teach everybody who sat in your classroom and how you use the support around you to do that. You know, you have to be much better at including other adults in your room. You have to be better at drawing in other objectives and so on. Um, and, you know, and I, and I think all of that has to work around the outcomes for the child, for every child in your class, but the outcomes for the child. And, you know, and, and I just saw something pop up in the chat there about interventions. I couldn't read what it said, but they're often competing views on how you take, go forward with that and learning as a teacher how to assimilate that, how to make that appropriate in your classroom, how a family gets their head around all that stuff, you know, and that's what, that's for me what is driving underneath all of this report because that's exactly what people are facing. Teachers are facing that, parents are facing that, you know, and, and children themselves who have the cognitive ability to understand the world in which they're living you know are facing all of that going on around them so it, it's I don't think sadly there are any quick fixes it's a sort of complex mesh of all of that thanks Tracy and I think the 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 um the the comment there from Angela Buxton of, of Mencap was was a, a very timely one in the sense she was just saying that the uh, so-called interventions for children with autism can actually be a benefit to the whole uh, class and I think that's really what you're saying is is rather than thinking about how do we accommodate one uh, how do the needs of one can benefit um the other 30 so um but but no thank you for all of that lizzie uh do you want to pick up on anything that anybody else has said or do you want to add anything on this uh, on the theme of of sort of school um and, and sort of up to 19 before we we move on into the into the next stage um yeah. and, and look at some other um, issues yeah no thank you it was um it's funny because when you read through the publication training is the one thing that just keeps coming up and up and up and it's it's kind of so basic isn't it but it all comes down to cost so um i think it was um terry mullins that talks about is that we have this danger of having preconceptions of what an autistic child is going to be like and so a teacher that hasn't had thorough training in the full spectrum of autism because let's face it every single child is utterly different you know that that it's a tall it's a tall order for that for that teacher to be able to get it right and um you know, I totally appreciate there are some interventions that absolutely can work for the whole class. Um, and, you know, you can, you can include that autistic person or, child, or many children potentially, and the rest of the class can join in and benefit from it and everyone learns from one another. But there is also obviously that danger where you've, you've underestimated how hard the child is gonna take to something. And, you know, it can have, you know, catastrophic effects. So it's just a case of, yeah, it gets back to training. You know, these these teachers just need to be equipped to be able to cope with anything that, that, that can come up. 
Uh, good. Thanks so much, uh, Lizzie. I wonder whether we could move, move on a bit. Uh, Laura, I think you're quite keen to just sort of talk a little bit about 19 plus uh, and, and then um, uh, obviously I'll bring in others there. And, and as we've already indicated, if anyone has any specific points they'd like to raise, just, just put them up on the chat. I'll try and incorporate anything that we've not yet covered there. So uh, over to you, Laura. Um, um, yes, in in um, the report, it talks about not changing um, legislation and, and the basic framework for legislation um, being appropriate. The, the gap in that for me is those uh, young people who coming up to 19 fall off the cliff. So there are young people leaving here and most specialist provisions where activities that were recognized as being educational when they're 19 at 20 cease to be education if they're children at very at relatively early levels of development, um, not on a, a vocational path necessarily. Um, they find that at 19, their education, health and care plan is discontinued because they're not needing education. And the definition of education changes in order to take them in, therefore takes them into that view of, of not needing education. And so they're dependent on um, social care assessments and social care pathways, some of which are fabulous and some of which are not enabling those young people to, to continue the developments that they've been making at, at, at school. So yes, it's a sort of great frustration to us that the work that, that's been done building their education through to 19, they then don't have the protection of an education and care, health and care plan going forward necessarily. Now, I know Tracy was saying earlier that, that that's not necessarily the case everywhere, but, but certainly um, for us, we're still finding that a, a barrier to getting the best out of life for our young people. Thanks, Laura. I wonder if I come to Audrey now and then on to Tracy. Yeah, um, Laura, you're absolutely right. And I think um, one of the things that kind of jumps out for me, especially as we um, children get to the uh, and young people get to the upper end of uh, uh, of their time in school, is is about that lack of foresight um, and thinking about things just dropping off and what is okay one year becomes kind of irrelevant the next. And I think what's really frustrating is for parents um, who have, with the school support, started to build and to kind of pro um, project. Uh, and we also give that information to our young people as well about, you know, the things that they can possibly do um, to find that that stops. I think also as well, special schools are are, are brilliant full stop. Um, you know, naturally I'm an advocate for them. Um, all schools are brilliant, but with special needs schools, I think what happens is we, we, we do as much as we can. We work really well with parents, but we tend to work in isolation. And so I think organizations that can support schools in that. And so that's why it's amazing that um, Beyond Autism Now is now looking to see where we can actually harness all of that expertise and I think there needs to be more in the way of collaboration just to start um, that process. The difficulty, I think, is simply that we get used to our young people that we support and that we care for. And so what happens is there is a little bit of reluctance. We're a bit like kind of like, you know, um, parents, you know, tiger parents, where we want to look after our children and making sure that wherever we're handing them over to is, is the best that it can possibly be. And it will be, but sometimes that anxiety comes from not only schools and institutions, but naturally parents as well. So there's, as um, Tracy said, it, 
there's, there's a fine mesh of different and complex needs that all need to be taken care of but actually we, we've got to be bold and step forward in doing that because otherwise we'll just stay where we are and have exactly what we've got. Gracie. Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting because, uh, I mean, the reason Beyond Autism set up post-19 provision was exactly to address what Laura was raising there. Um, and that's, you know, constantly kicking the can further down the road rather than creating environments in which um, children and young adults leave into something that is scaffolded to be successful uh, for their future and for their future as active citizens um, as individuals with choice and control of their lives and so on. Um, so, yeah, and, and you know, we, we've managed to, to set that up and, and that's all on the basis of an education health care plan. 19 to 25 year olds within uh, the young adults that we meet have, you know, what would be classed, whatever that means, as complex um, needs. And um, they all have uh, a pathway to using preparation for adulthood, but they all have a pathway towards some form of gainful employment in its broadest sense, some uh, somewhere to live uh, in terms of whether that's supported living, who they live with, with the support package around them. Now, Beyond Autism aren't a, 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 a supported living provider and we don't provide care at home, but we do provide and facilitate that bridge into making, helping make that happen with all the right people in that process. Um, and, and, and also um, for young adults with autism, it's about having hobbies and um, friendship groups and um, all of those things set up as well and support networks. So that, um, you know, when you, if you step out your front door into the high street and you're finding something particularly tricky, people step towards you to help rather than turning away in a worried way or whatever. So everything we do with our 19 to 25 year olds is with that in mind. So it's not just about a destination, it's about a life. What life are you stepping into when you're, you're, you're no longer with us? And it's about empowering that. So there's not a dependency culture on beyond autism or on professionals in spe specifically and so on, but how you take control of some of that. And, that. and that's also with some of the most, what people would call complex of young adults. Um, you know, we have that aspiration and we work with them um, on that. Um, so I think, you know, as a model, we're really excited about that model and we're excited about what it can do. But like Laura was highlighting, really, it's a, it, there's a dialogue that has to happen with commissioners and local authorities to understand, A, why that is still education and B, why that's really important. Um, because, you know, it, it, and I think Lizzie was saying, you know, everything comes down to funding at the end of the day. And, um, you know, it, if if people think that they, they can save some money somewhere because it isn't what they think it should be or, or whatever. And, 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 you know, there'll be lots of people. And if they're on this call and they were from a local authority, they'd throw their arms up at me saying that. And we don't think like that and, and so on. And I and I'm sure that's absolutely right. But that's not what happens in practice. Um, and, and I think that's what we have to start to unpick and, and work together to solve. 
Thanks, Tracy. Yes, I think there's there's no doubt that um, there are going to be economic challenges um, ahead uh, for local authorities and as well as central government, and and and, and no one would deny that. But I think just um, uh, let's just um, move move on from um, Tracy's points, uh, Lizzie. Let's let's have some perspectives from you because I was interesting. I mean, Simon's essay. Um, you know, he he talks about creating a world where autistic people are respected, valued, and empowered. I think we already sort of touched on that theme. But I mean, we'd like to sort of take as sort of 19 plus but then also because again that's uh, an important theme of his contribution to the report you know one in five autistic children are excluded from school um 80 percent who stay in the mainstream half report having been bullied you know that that we've we sort of touched on some more positive aspects there are clearly that there's a lot more work to be done um in in you know through and in uh, all of your organizations of course and 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 those people who are who are tuning in uh, to this webinar so liz if you'd like to cover any of aspects of that that'd be great yeah um so yeah as you as you point out so ace is really um the whole catalyst for the creation of ace if you like is that there are so many um it's just so fragmented, you know, support in general is just so fragmented. And what we want with the ACE is to be this consistent, coordinated approach right from infancy through to childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and senior citizens as well. Some people don't get diagnosed until much later in life. Um, this particular issue about, you know, does education end at 19? Do you fall off a cliff? What happens? What, what are the prospects for people? Again, one autistic person is so different to another. So neurodiversity is a very kind of positive way of, of, of putting it in terms of, you know, the, the more able autistic people are, we like to think, could go into a wide range of jobs with very little sort of reasonable adjustment. You know, we've, we've got um, close supporters who have had extremely successful careers at like, Transport for London um, and, you know, places in the city where actually... Um, adjustments have been made that benefit the whole team because mental health is, is a key issue anyway. And they have had you know, very positive experiences there. And that is hugely encouraging um, that more and more organizations have um, disability and diversity on their radar, absolutely. Um, but I think also it's important to remember that um, you know, autism is a whole spectrum. So many have epilepsy, many have many people have no or few words, many self-harm. You know, there is a real seriousness of sort of how we can provide opportunity for them and get them into a safe place where they feel empowered in their own right. And actually there are examples of, um, play, I mean, yoga centers, charity shops, chocolate factories. Chocolate is a wonderful example of, um, just social equality and opportunity in Cambridge, which is a company called Harry Spectres, where they make fantastic award-winning chocolates. And they, parallel to that though, is their priority for, um, it's a social enterprise, you know, it's changing lives. Autistic people get involved in all elements of work from making and packaging the chocolates right through to admin, photography, marketing. If more companies could, just have it have autistic people and disabled people on their radar right from the beginning and you know adapted then i think that there'd just be just be more there'd be less risk of things going wrong at 19 you know there'd just be more opportunity there and so actually at ace life skills and employment is a massive massive part of what we do um and 
you know, it all comes down to looking at the individual and working out what is right for the individual. The individual leads, le leads their own life. Thanks, Lizzie. I wonder, Laura, whether I might just turn to you and, and, and perhaps you could share one or two positive stories about uh, where some of your students have, have gone on to and indeed organisations that you'd like to uh, thank for helping them in terms. I mean, Lizzie's given us some examples from from their experience at um, ACE, but uh, perhaps you'd like to share some thoughts and, and indeed uh, give us your, if you like, uh, mini manifesto for, for what uh, more you think needs to be done to incorporate um, uh, pupils and, and, and those leaving school with, with autism to, to uh, have a successful working uh, life, um, uh, albeit perhaps with some of the, the support we've described. We, are, uh, we lead on a, a fantastic project at our local hospital, so that's Whips Cross Hospital in Leightonstone, so shout out for them. Um, and we're involved with a, a group called Project Search. Um, Project Search provide support to um, give young people a period of internship. So we have a, a group of children, of young people, some of whom come from Whitefield, some of whom come from other provisions locally, um, and they spend a year um, based at Whips Cross Hospital going out every day to work in internships in um, different departments. Uh, and originally, um, as a couple of other people have said, there was that uncertainty, those barriers about how could these young people be helped to, um, to take up employment. And several years on, now the, the departments are really leading and pushing for our young people um, to come and work there. So the, uh, the medical records department, we're told, has never been better organised since one of our young people took up a post there. And it's, uh, you know, it's appalling to him to think that any record could ever be on the wrong shelf an absolutely personal commitment to get everything out and for his clinics those records are, are there so the people around him can see the contribution that he is making and his commitment to to accuracy and organization is making um, and then pushing for for other young people to join um, so that, that's been great achievement with a number of, of success stories there. And for us now, it's about how we um, adapt our curriculum or further develop our curriculum right through secondary to make sure that all of our young people will be equipped. And it's a shame that the um, person represented Bankup have gone because we're just part of a project with them. Great. Um, to, to do work at, at, at post 16. So my manifesto is for those, for those young people who are ready and able to go to work, there will be somewhere for them. But then as somebody else has said that's not the pathway for everyone. And it's looking at what else there is in society, for young people for whom that, that's not the way. Thanks so much, Laura. And I think uh, Catherine Stewart's just uh, mentioned employability as, as an organisation that, that she rates highly. I'm sure you all you all know about their work and, and maybe engaged with them. Um, and um, yes, then Audrey, uh, yes, please. Could, could we have your thoughts um, following on from what Lizzie and, and Laura said? Yeah, um, thank you, Edward. I, I mean, I'm 100% I'm um, behind what, what Laura's saying with regards to um, thinking about the curriculum and um, 
in the setting up of a brand new free school, we were, one of the things that we started to think about was not actually just waiting till secondary because it was an all through school. We actually started thinking about it from primary because effectively we have a cohort that are staying with us all the way through from the age of four through to 19. So in a way it felt a little bit kind of um, disingenuous to, to, to start talking about it at 11 when actually we could start talking about it from six or four. So um, what we had started to do, and that's what we did prior to my leaving, was to start building up different aspects of employment, different aspects of work-related learning that kind of built up incrementally throughout the school. So by the time they got to secondary, actually, they were quite ready for it. And one of the things that we also looked to do was to do an internal work experience, which um, enables that whole idea of being, um, if you like, being having those adjustments in a setting that children are, are ready to uh, um, kind of embrace. Uh, and also because we were an academy trust, the idea was to start working within the trust. So actually that there was a reciprocal arrangement that yes, I will have three of your children if you want to bring over four of mine and et cetera. So it's, it's that idea of being outward facing that I think is really, really key. Um, and, in, and, and one organization, not that this is about kind of touting um, particular organizations because they're all amazing but there was one organization that we worked with Talentino who um, really thought long and hard about the work that they were doing with regards to internships and and a great conference I attended um, a couple of years ago where they talked about um, uh, organizations such as in fact it was Capital One where we actually had the conference and they were talking a lot about um, uh, embracing um, uh, young people with um, uh, disabilities and, and how they enhance the workforce um, and I think that's really got to be another one of our kind of our um, kind of messages now as we as we look towards and um, especially now employment and um, how that all looks is so different now and um, we've all undergone a revolution in that um, so I think now's the time to kind of start thinking about some of those changes. Thanks very much, Rudy. I mean, certainly this year has brought uh, many, uh, many assumptions have been challenged about uh, working patterns, uh, working uh, contexts. Uh, and I think for all of us in, in different ways, we've we've had to think more carefully. And I think many of the assumptions that have been made in the past have, have, have been thrown out of the window. And, and that's probably quite a good thing. And hopefully that could be an opportunity uh, for those with autism to because if employers are thinking, maybe we don't need someone here five days a week, maybe we could have people at certain times of the day um you know that there are this is a, a, a timely discussion i think in terms of of the, the whole world of employment which um obviously we advise in and are involved in um uh, as well in a different way um wonder whether uh, lizzie perhaps you could just pick up on anything audrey um has has said and, and and maybe a few final thoughts reflections for us before i work around the panel towards a conclusion um on that last point actually about remote working and things um you know we have in our i suppose we assume that you know a lot of autistic people clearly they find social interactions very challenging that seems to be clearly one of the common common uh, characteristics but when we talk about the world in power when we when we when we first talked about the details of ace and empowering people um and we spoke to a lot of autistic people and actually they consider it very empowering when they finally do learn to have the confidence and the skills to communicate with others. So it, while it is a comfortable um, opportunity potentially for more people to work from home, um, you know, we also don't want people to be missing out on 
actually integrating with people more if they feel comfortable to do so if we can you know training teaching understanding listening all those as you said soft skills that we need to see as huge values actually just kindness and compassion and patience and listening we can actually integrate people more and so remote working is is, is great and it's handy but let's just not lose an opportunity for autistic people as well though Thank you. Yes, I think uh, remote working, um, as we probably will, will all agree, uh, has some limitations. And uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think we've all experienced those in the last sort of six or nine uh, months. But but yes, absolutely. I think that um, whilst uh, many assumptions may have gone, I think there are also certain core um, elements of of the workplace, which uh, I think probably have, have been taken for granted and now are, are valued more. So I think mm. that, that's an important point. Point. Um, Laura, any additional points you'd like to make or anything you've, we've not covered that you would like to raise um, as, as we work around the, the panel towards um, the, uh, the conclusion? I mean, I think the conclusion I take with me from this discussion is to pick up Elizabeth's word about, Lizzie's word about empowerment, that through, the, through all the different themes, it is about empowering children and young people to be who they want to be. Um, and having a curriculum and, and creating a world out there where they can be who they want to be. And I also must say, in case my early years lead to watches, that I did not mean to imply that we don't think about careers until they're 11. <laughs> yes, it's whole levels all the way through. And, and we all need to, to be thinking from the very beginning what makes a better life for this, for this child. Thanks, Laura. Audrey mentioned that, that, you know, this is not an opportunity to promote or, or it's not here to promote other organisations, but I think very much is. And I think that's very much the, the, the point of the report is to really uh, bring together, as I said at the start of this webinar, as many organisations as possible who are shared, uh, share a, a, a conviction in supporting and helping others and uh, look forward to, um, uh, as it were, extending that beyond, um, beyond today. Uh, but Audrey, anything you'd like to to add to, to what Laura or Lizzie or anyone else has said so far or, or anything you want to emphasize from your contribution to the report? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed being part of this panel I, um, and, I, and it's great to meet um, other professionals who are of like mind. And I think um, what I'm looking forward to is the opportunity to possibly work with others, I think, in, in, in pushing that um, forward, that agenda forward. I think um, I'm a big believer in, in collaboration. So I think really now that now's the time to to not worry too much about what we're doing in our own corner but thinking about the common good and just kind of um pushing those boundaries out there so um yeah it's, this has been a great opportunity it's a wonderful report i would say that i'm in it um but ultimately it, it's it's about the young children that we serve and, and their parents and thinking about what's for them um because the world is out there for them so we've just got to make sure that we ensure that it fits them to the best of our ability so yeah Thank you. Thank you. And, and finally, Tracy, um, your, uh, if you'd like to just sort of bring this to a conclusion um, with, with your um, thoughts and, 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 and your hopes, if you like, uh, beyond uh, today. And, um, uh, you know, just before I do that, Catherine Stewart's asked me to um, draw attention to AutoQuest, uh, which is an app she's just been involved in uh, supporting. So uh, that is something those of you watching and uh, those of you on the panel may like to look at. She, she mentioned that to me a few days ago um yes tracy 
Thank you, um, and, and a huge thanks to our, our other panelists, which I'm sure you're going to do as well, Edward, but I haven't had the opportunity yet to say thank you for your contributions to the report, which um, which have been great. I really appreciate it, and it's it's nice to, to meet everybody. Um, uh, I think that one of, there are a couple of things I just want to, to tease out before we go, and that's, we're all here um, amplifying the voice of people with autism and, and their families. And we need to remember that we are only amplifying it. We have to um, constantly be going back to the people with autism themselves. And um, like has been said throughout, everybody's an individual. They'll have individual wants, desires, needs, as we all do. And we have to hold on to that um, and, uh, and, and help forge the way with all of that in whatever way is appropriate uh, for, that, for that person. And I think being able to do that um, in a collaborative way as professionals will, will just make the pathway much easier for individuals and their families. Um, and, and that's really what this has all, all been about. And I, I'm, so I'm really excited about where this goes next. And for Beyond Autism, we, we have a conference in April next year, an online conference um, that um, everybody can start to uh, sign up in terms of expressions of interest to come. You don't have to pay any money yet, don't panic. Um, but the, um, that all the details of that are on our website on the Professional Conference 2021 page on the website. Um, and we, we'd really like to have as many people uh, involved in that as possible just to keep the dialogue going and for it to stop being just chatting. Let's make things happen. That's what we'd like. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Tracy. And I think what is great about the report is that it is not um, particularly time sensitive. And I think uh, we all say what I should say to everybody who's watching is that uh, although the report is downloadable on our websites, uh, we also have hard copies, which uh, if uh, you would like, uh, please get in touch with either Wild Search or with Beyond Autism. Um, it now remains for me just to say I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but um, we've, we said we'd be about 45 minutes. I know honestly, we've had to leave uh, watching it live. Um, but the good news is, um, just before I bring this to a close, that the webinar will be available to watch um, and you can share with colleagues there'll be a link which which will try to get it live uh, if not today tomorrow um, uh, and, and and finally just to say thank you so much firstly Tracy and uh, her colleagues particularly David Anthony at Beyond Autism and Andy Swartfigure who's who's been uh, watching uh, the webinar um, for um, asking us to help with that um, and, and bring this together as I say this is this is really a journey rather than a destination uh, in terms of the report and the webinar and we hope that this will be, be, be something we can take forward. Thank you all of you uh, who've engaged uh, in the report, uh, both the contributors that aren't on the webinar and to those of you uh, who are. And uh, we look forward to um, uh, spreading the, the, the messages that have come out of the report and in the webinar and um, re reconvening uh, in the future, uh, uh, hopefully uh, in person before long. But, but thank you, everybody. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you.